0: I've told this story years ago, and I need to cycle it back because it is just so profound for us this morning. The whole story happened in Portland, Oregon, and it happened as reported by Rebecca Pippert. And it took place around Reed College. Bill had been investigating the teachings of Jesus for three years. And in that process, at about the end of the third year, he came to the conclusion that the claims of Jesus were true. That he was a son of God, that it was God in flesh who came to this earth. That because of our sins, we are destined to die, but Jesus took those sins on himself when he hung on a cross. That's why he said, Father, forgive them. That's why he said, it is finished, it's it's taken care of. That he rose again because of that ability to rise again, then it gave us the ability to live forever with him. And it's, it's what John said, who followed Jesus, this is the story that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so when Bill came to that conclusion, he then decided, well, probably the next thing I need to do is just kind of hang out with people who believe that. And so he thought, well, it's coming up on Sunday, so I'll just I'll go, I'll go to church so he just he thought a minute and he thought about the church closest to him, which happened to be near Reed College, which was a very liturgical, conservative, upper middle class church. So he figured out what time they're going to gather, and so he went to the church. And sure enough, when he walked in, it was it really was nothing like he is because there they were; they all wore suits and and the ladies wore dresses and very classy people. He got there just about the time the service was to begin. And it was full. It seemed like every seat was taken, and so he started down the aisle looking for a seat, just one single seat that he could squeeze into, and, and he got all the way down. And while he was going down, people began to take notice, because you need to understand about Bill, Rebecca Pippert says that Bill really only had one pair of jeans and one t-shirt, and that's all he wore. And she said at night, she's pretty sure that he just stood him up in the corner and then put him back on the next morning. He always went barefoot. Even in the winter in Portland, Oregon, he would go barefoot and, and his hair stuck out everywhere, and part of it was orange and part of it was blue. And so he makes his way down the aisle. He gets down to the all the way to the front and he can't find a seat, so he just he wants to be there and hear what's going on. So he just he he plunks right down in the front of the altar and sits down. There wasn't an audible gasp, but you know, inside people are, they're, they're, they're freaking out. What what? Well, that's just not right. Well, soon they saw coming down the aisle, same way that Bill had come, they saw one of the elders of the church, one of the, the veteran ushers, very, very classy dressed, three-piece suit, had the, the, the pocket watch, and because of arthritis, he had a cane, and so he's making his way down, and everybody's thinking the same thing. Somebody had to say something, and he's the guy to say it. So he makes his way down. Meantime, the pastor and his staff come on onto the platform, but the pastor can't, he cannot begin the call to worship with this drama unfolding, so he just waits. The elder makes his way down and he leans over as everyone watches. And they have a little conversation. And you know, they're thinking, well, it, you know, he's probably a nice kid, but it had to be said. They finish their conversation, and the old guy lays his cane down in front of him. And with that arthritic condition, the best he can, he lowers himself down and sits down next to Bill, and there they worship together. Now, you see, that is a call to worship. And that is the calling card of the community of faith. There's this elder in the first century. His name was Paul. And he writes to, his, to a gathering of, of the church in a Roman-occupied city of Ephesus. And we've taken part of that ladder for the last three weeks and we've taken the part that describes how Jesus builds his community of faith. We talked about the fact that, that when the community of faith, the church, works itself and and works on itself in the way that it is designed, that Jesus said what will happen is that people will understand that God still loves the world. So we talked and we we put the structure up here to just represent this whole idea of, of how God is building, and we started with nothing here except the foundation. We said the foundation is unity, not uniformity. The way that we treat each other then tells people, oh, Jesus still loves us. On top of this foundation, we put the framework and we said that was truth, that we would have to understand truth and actually live out the truth. And that's part of the problem in America today, that people are critical of the church because we talk the truth and they say, but you don't live the truth. And we said this last week, that as you build in a construction site in the same, in the building of the church, that things get messy. And we talked about how we deal with that messiness and how maturity moves us through the messiness. So here, here we have it. You say, well, it's not done. Well, the bottom line is it will never be done. It will always look like it's in process until Jesus Christ returns to this earth and He said, when you see me, then you'll become just like me. And then it will be perfect, it will be done. So here we have this, but, but I want to say to you that that calling card that I described earlier, that calling card, with with it, people will validate that, that when we get together, God's presence is there. If it's not there, then no one's going to really understand that Jesus has done this incredible thing for us. They won't understand that. This calling card is the door that will lead us into God's marvelous construction. And it might surprise you to know what that is but it's simply this, kindness. Kindness is the door that leads us right into Jesus' community. Kindness is that issue, that thing that will set us apart. And it's always been that way. I I wanted to read to you a letter that Paul wrote to a friend named Titus, and here's how he describes this whole thing of kindness. Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But... When God our Savior revealed his kindness, catch it, his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We have been so messed up. How many of you would say you've been messed up before? How many of you would say I think the person next to me is messed up? Who would you say that? We've been so messed up when Jesus arrived, he did not come like some spiritual Yosemite Sam. You remember Yosemite Sam? Guns blazing. Turn or burn, you varmint. It's not how he showed up. How he showed up, according to what we just read, is that he came with kindness. The word also means gentleness and love. The word is the Greek word phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, meaning the, the city of... Brotherly love. He came as a kind friend. And we were so messed up, we needed a safe place to go. So he said, I saved you. I put you in a safe place, not to condemn you, but to transform you. And he said, I've done it because of my mercy. So here we are. And if we're honest, there's a whole lot of us in here that are messed up. And we need a safe place to unload the stuff. And Jesus said, it's my church. You see, the foundation of this church, we talked about it the first week and actually we repeated it the second week. The foundation is built on these four pillars, which makes it safe for us to unload. And I think we have have a, a list for you. Do we have that, guys? There it is. So I want you to say these with me out loud, please. Let's start with the first one. I don't need to be first. I don't need to be right. I don't need to bail out, and I don't need to spotlight your faults. See, that's what the church lives by. That is the truth, and that is what makes it safe. That is what kind friends do. And so, in this passage we're going to read today, Paul says, Let me describe to you the evidence of kind friendship. The first is this: we live a refreshing openness. That's us, a refreshing openness. That's what that's how we need to be. Once in a while, I'll walk out from the closet where I have gotten ready for the day. And I walk out, and Pam will look what I have on, and she'll just she'll go, mm, Well, I know what that means. I go, what? Uh, it's just, it, 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 and it irritates me because I'm ready to go. And she'll go, mm. what really irritates me is when I come out like that and she'll go, mm, and I'll say, but I've worn this four or five times. And she'll go, mm. and I'll say, you let me go out and it didn't look good. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't want to, to upset you. Oh, good. Just give me sackcloth and ashes. I'm done. Now, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. I trust her opinion because I've watched for 35 years, over 35 years, how so often she has cared for me beyond herself. She has put me before herself, and I totally trust her, even when it irritates me. I trust her. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. See, this is not a license for me to speak my mind in order to create a a uniformity to my opinions. This is not me saying, and you saying, okay, here's what I think, and you all need to line up to this thing. Because, you know, if you could have your opinion and you'd say, well, pastor, every Sunday we want you in a coat and tie because that's that's just the way it is. If my grandfather was here, that's the way it was. My grandfather would mow the yard in a coat and tie that's the way he was. So, so, and some of you would say, oh, no, behold, the Lord says, thou shalt wear old navy board shorts and and flip-flops, for thus saith the Lord, and it pleaseth the Lord of the beach. You know, you, 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 so you'd want me to do that. This is not about, this whole thing is not about your opinion or your your style or your preference or your history or your tradition. This simply has to do with following the teacher's following the teachings of Jesus in a a community, a safe community, where friendships have been time-tested and they're right relationships. So if we're going to do this following Jesus thing, then we've got to do it the way that he said we have to do it. You can't can't alter it. He said, here's the way you've got to do this. And he said, one of the things is you've got to be very open in your friendships, which means this, you've got to have friendships. Friendships. And those friendships are, I got to be more than I showed up on Sunday morning and I spent an hour and a half and I worshiped God and I went home. You can't do that. And, and if we don't have friendships, we don't have openness. So this week, it was great. We had, we had some friends over on Thursday night and had a great meal together. I hung out with about 30 people on Friday night and we had a great dinner together. Hang up with some more friends on Saturday night. We had a dinner together. And let me tell you what happened besides the eating. We shared history. We shared common experience. If, if you want to have friendships, you have to have enough time together where it is time tested, where you share your history, you share where you're headed in life, and you walk it together. That is the only way that you get deep friendships, and from those deep friendships then you can become open. And, and the best way to do that then is to have an openness where you can ask the right questions. I had a friend several years ago, this is guy about 20 years ago, we were, we were together and he said, hey, how are you and Pam doing? I said, oh, we're doing good. We're doing good. He said, Jackie said, you know, we've been friends for a long time, so I just need to tell you, I think you're being harsh with her. So what? He said, well, yeah, you, I'm, I'm detecting some harshness with her. And then he went on to say, you know, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to understand that according to Paul, that you, we need to nurture the relationship we have with, with our wife and that we need to, to help build her up. And besides that, the apostle Peter said that if you don't honor her, God won't even hear your prayers. And he was right. I was going through this phase of harshness, and I had to deal with it. But he had the right to speak into my life because we had friendship. And there was this openness there. I have a friend here in the city. We'll sit together and for lunch, and we meet a couple times a week, a couple times a month, and he'll say to me, "So, how are you and Pam? What, what, what are you doing to date, date her? And, and he'll, he'll ask me the right questions. He'll say, well, what are you doing about your intimacy with God? Did you tell me that, that through the fast that God wanted you to get up earlier in the mornings? Are you doing that thing? Yeah, I am doing it. How are you doing with your mind? What are you thinking about these days? Are you seeing any media that's making you have thoughts you shouldn't have, and what are you doing with that? See, so you should have the right to have friendships enough that you can go to a friend and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, I haven't seen you gather with, with the, the community together for worship for about three weeks. Are you okay? What's, what are you dealing with? You say, well, that's none of my business. Oh, it is too. It is a lot of your business if we care for each other. Honestly, we've got to have this this refreshing openness. It's got to be there. Time tested relationships. Kindness does not condemn, but it leads. How are you doing? I'm not condemning. Let's walk this together. Kindness does not ignore, but it reveals. And kindness does not bail out but it commits, says, I will walk with you through life. I mean, isn't it great to be part of a community where what they say they do, and they do it in peace? Paul said, that's what I'm building. That's what Jesus is building here. So for functioning as, as a body with refreshing openness, then we also need to understand that we must function without grudges. And that's tough because if we're still living an old life, with the old life comes our rights and come the grudges. But Jesus said, I've given you a new life. We we described this last week that that actually God created the new life. He said, take off the old and put on the new. And, And the new one is that He's created it. He created it so that we have new emotions, new attitudes, and new behaviors, new practices. He said, I just want you to put that on. And that's the process, put it on. Because he said, when you do that, he said, you will walk in holiness and righteousness. And let me describe that to you. Holiness is seeing life through the eyes of Jesus. And righteousness is living your life in the way that Jesus would live it as you see what Jesus sees. When you were a kid, do you remember your mom saying to you, do you have your sweater? Wear your sweater. Don't go outside without your sweater. Wear your jacket. My mom would always do that. In fact, well, now that our kid's gone, Pam still does that to me. you have your sweater? She does because it's that mom thing. Put on your sweater. But sometime when you get old enough, you got to know you got to put your sweater on. So when when Paul says put on this new life, it, it's it's made for you. It's there. It's already created. But here's what Jesus will not do. Jesus will not harangue you. Jesus will not try to trick you. He will not try to make it more attractive than what the world around you is using for attraction. He's not going to say, wait, wait, come, and I'll give you more, and I'll do this, and I'll bless you with that. And I'll and he doesn't do that. He just says, look, if you want to follow me, you've got to live this life. If you want to live this life, here's what you wear. Put it on. But I'm not going to come after you and chase you down. I'm going to come to you and say, follow me, Because watch what Jesus does. He says, follow me, and people follow him. But the ones that don't, he doesn't chase them down. He says, when you're ready, come follow me, because here's what you got to wear. See, we've been having this discussion about what's happening in the world today, and so I'll just tell you where we are now. We are prepared to help you put on that that garment, to put on that new life. We've got people. We've got mentors. We've got teachers. We've got, because God has equipped this church for that. But we're not going to chase you down, and we're not going to not try to manipulate you into a class or tell you, if you do this, you'll get this, and, oh, we're going to feed you every time we get together because that seems to be the pulling force. we are not going to do that anymore. It's just killing us. We're, we're, what else can we do? We're not doing it anymore. We're prepared to put that garment on you and help you walk through, but you've got to come and put it on. And if you don't put it on, then my question is, are you really following Jesus? Because you can't do it. So here's what Paul says we must put on, part of what we must put on, Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the the devil a foothold. He says, here's a new attitude to go with a really, really dangerous emotion. So how do we put this on? I like the words of John Piper, and I think it's in your notes, and he says this. When God creates in us a new heart, He does not cancel out our consciousness. We are conscious hour by hour of choices. We will follow the way of deceit, or we will follow the way of truth, or will we follow the way of truth? The new creation is not the negation of choice. It's the transformation of the heart that makes choices. The moral choices you face as a new creature in Christ are just as real and crucial as the choices you faced before you were born again. The difference is that your character, your nature, your heart... Your will have been radically changed. So now we have a different view of anger. So let's talk about anger for a moment. I want to first say that there is a time to be angry. There's a good anger and a bad anger. You say, what's the difference? I'm pretty well sure that my anger is good and yours is bad. (laughs) So that's what we want. But let me tell you this. First of all, fast anger is usually not very good. Pam and I were driving up Peach Street, heading towards I-90. And you get to that spot where everybody begins to realize they have to be in the left lane to head east. And so now they're in the right lane, and they just decide, well, I'll just wait here till I find a spot. That ticks me off. I want to say, would you be considerate enough just go up, pull a U-E-E, and come back the other way? Not only that, but then you got the people coming in, like near McDonald's and Burger King, and they're trying to get across. And so we're going up, and, and the lines, are it's, it's heavy, and I usually find a way around it, but I'm stuck here. And so we're at the light, and this car, the left lane is packed all the way. There's no, no space. And this guy comes out perpendicular and stops in, in front of us and waiting for that, and our light changes. This is not God's will. There's a car in front of us, and, and that car pulls up. I pull up behind them, and the guy just sits there, and our light's getting ready to change, and that thing hasn't budged. So I communicate by horn. Honk, because I want him to know that what he has done is not appropriate. Being the teacher, I want to instruct him that you are in the wrong. I honk, but I don't think he's paying attention. So I honk a little louder. Pam says, what are you doing? I'm teaching him a lesson. So now, finally, that traffic and left lane is beginning to move. And just as the light's changing, he gets out of the way. I drive by, honk one more time, just in case he didn't hear me. And then I give him the look. The look says, did you get your license at Toys R Us? What's your problem? God bless you. <laughs> now, you see, I want to think that that angers God. But God says, I wasn't driving, dude. That's your anger. So what is God anger? God anger is this. It is when... We rule our spirit. We have control. But something begins to boil up inside of us slowly. And we recognize that it is anger because of dishonoring of God, a refusal, to, a resistance to God's aims, and the injustice done to somebody who cannot help themselves, an orphan, somebody who's been trafficked. It's that thing that where the injustice has come to to the, the marginalized and the disenfranchised, and it starts to build up and say, how can you do that? Now with that, if it's God anger, also with it comes grief. Jesus was getting ready to heal a guy on the Sabbath who had a deformed hand, and he looks around and he knows exactly what the religious leaders are going to say to him. You can't do that because it's the Sabbath, and he's, he's torn up because this guy can be healed and they don't care. And here's what the Scripture says happened, Mark 3, verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, now catch this, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. If this is God's anger, here's what's going to happen. It's going to grow in you. You're going to be able to isolate it as because of of evil coming against somebody or against God. You're going to know how to respond because here's what's going to happen. If you respond the right way, there will be healing not division, and you will be grieved at the people who have allowed themselves to be used by Satan to block God, and you will see them not as the objects of your wrath, but as the instruments of Satan, and you will become angry at the evil that is there. There is a time to get angry, and the time to stay angry is short. Bottom line, pretty well the principle is this, prolonged anger is always a grudge, If you hang on to it, it's a grudge. It will become destructive. It will create a gap upon which Satan will then find a place to lodge himself. So I'm going to just do this really quick, so just hang with me. I'm going to ask this whole mass of the three rows, just stand up right here. Okay? And I need you to just come right out here and stand together just in a mob. Come on. It's a flash mob. Here we go and just turn and face each other. Don't look at me because you don't need to. Okay. I just need two people, you two guys right there in the middle. Come on, right here. here. You guys are good. Okay. Now face each other and everybody else is just together. Here's the community of faith. Okay. These two guys are communicating with each other and then all of a sudden they get angry. Now turn your backs toward you. There's, that's it. (laughs) Okay. I have to break this up. Okay. Turn your backs. Now, I want to tell you what happens. The moment we disconnect in friendship here, and we're angry, here's what happens. It gives Satan the right, move forward a little bit, to come in between here because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of right relationships, and where there is no right relationship, there is no kingdom. So now it's void. Satan moves in, and he can attack both these guys. Now, not only does he attack these guys, but he attacks their family. The people they, they, they deal with in school, where they work, wherever their sphere of influence is, Satan now has an inroad to attack your work, your university, your family, your cul-de-sac, your city, because you have broken relationship. Now, the way you resolve that is you guys face each other, you ask forgiveness, you work it out, you give each other a hug, there we go, there we are, okay, let go, and, and then Satan has no place to hang out anymore. Thanks, guys. Have a seat. Anger is a dangerous emotion that must be handled carefully and briefly. So when, when Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, what he's dealing with here is, is not a timeline. He doesn't say, okay, you have all day to be angry, then you've got to cut it short at night because if you live in Alaska during the summer, you get 23 and a half hours. There's a, there's that line where husband and wife are talking to people and they say, you know, we never go to bed angry with each other, but we have been up 72 hours at times. It's, it's, what we're dealing with here is let it be brief. Don't let it don't let it simmer. Get with each other, talk it through in your openness, speaking the truth in love, and let forgiveness reign. That is kindness. Because here's the problem: as long as you have a grudge and you're angry. What will happen will be word curses that will go out into the atmosphere. And believe me, your words create environment. Negative words change what's happening around us. When you gossip, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. When you're critical, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. It's just got to stop. Say, well, I'm just, you know, I just want to... No, 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 no. If you're following Jesus, put it on. And if you're a gossip, it's not on. So maybe I just what I'd like to say, and and I wish I could find Greek words for it, but just shut up. Don't say those things. In the body of Christ, we speak health food. We speak health food. When our daughter Christy was, I think she's about one. Pam and I went to the airport to meet some family coming in, and and Pam was seated at a bench, and this was years ago when smoking was still allowed in sections, and, and so Pam has Christy, and Christy is leaning over Pam's back, she's talking, and there's an ashtray with old cigarette butts sitting there. Christy reaches down and starts munching on cigarette butts, and finally Pam recognizes it, and she's just pulling the stuff out of her mouth, don't kiss me either, it's just it's horrible. What would you think of Pam if if Pam sat down and saw the cigarette butts and said, here, Christy, try one? You'd think, abuse, you can't do that. Because Pam worked really hard, has worked really hard to make sure that nourishment was part of our kids' schedule so that they would have healthy bodies. Here's what Paul says about a healthy body. Ephesians 4.29, "'Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart.'" His Holy Spirit, moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Look, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit entered your life. It is the Holy Spirit's job to help put Jesus on you and for you to be able to pray, come your kingdom be done your will on earth as it is in heaven, and to live it out. When I speak an abusive word. It violates the spiritual atmosphere. It drives back the awareness of God's love. Now hear me. When we're trying to reveal Jesus and Jesus says, my church will reveal me to the world, when we speak negativity, when we are critical, when we abuse with our words, the awareness of God's love is swept away and nobody can see it it creates unhealthy food that we are forcing others to digest at that moment. When I speak unwholesome words, it's like me taking a cigarette butt and stuffing it in your mouth and say chew on this in the name of Jesus. You say that doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's destructive and it's incompatible with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit grieves every time we speak a critical word. It is deadly. So we Paul says must decide a clean break. It means no trace of cutting words, backbiting, or profane conversation. He said, instead, let's put on this new life that brings kindness into our relationships and into our conversation. So here's the deal. Would you filter every conversation through this? Is what I'm about to say kind? Kind. If it's not, don't say it. And if you say to me, if I say to you, well, yeah, but, you know, you just don't understand. I just, I just, I blurt stuff out. I just, I just have to say those things. And you need to say to me, grow up. You can't do that. You are choosing to do that. Stop it. Put on Jesus because he doesn't speak that way. I must make up my mind that I'll only speak what feeds others in becoming more like Jesus and that is kindness, and it's mercy. Because, listen, kindness and mercy are inseparable brothers. See, Jesus never, never turned his back on us, even though we were messed up, and he never got ugly with us, even though we got ugly. Jesus didn't lose his temper. You know, your shih tzu didn't fall over dead, or your hamster explode because God got ticked off. He said, oh, my bad, I'm sorry, I just lost my temper. He said, you can't do that. The body's not built that way. You can't be that way. Instead, Jesus came to us with kindness, with friendship, with a safe place, and with mercy. And then it killed him. And I tell you that to say this, that sometimes sometimes being kind doesn't feel good, but it is good. And sometimes we have to sacrifice to feel that way or to be that way. So I want to show you how that works in the toughest places in the body of Christ within the church. And I'm going to use these guys called the skit guys. They're going to show you here for about six or seven minutes. Just hang with me. What it's like to find a safe community full of mercy and kindness.
1: Hey, Gary. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just calling. I um, wanted you to know you can come by whenever, dude. It's your call. Whatever you want, any time will totally work for me. I was just leaving you a message.
2: Yeah. Had you uh... front door is open. Oh, great.
1: Yeah, great. Um, you you want a drink?
2: No, I'm good. I'm good. It's hot. Hot today. day. It's a very hot day.
1: Hey, I'm really sorry. You know
2: what? Just go ahead and have a seat. Let's, let's talk this out, all right? Sure. That's great. That's great. Um, where do you want to start? Where do I want to start? Okay. Where do I want to start? How about we start with you, my best friend since we were kids, what gave you the idea to think that it was okay to sleep with my wife?
1: That's um. That's okay. That's that's good. Let's um. Let's start there. Um, I've wanted to talk about this for a while. That's that's why I, I left you messages, you know, and, and I sent you emails. Jeff, put dancing it on we the we subject and talk. just
2: answer the question. All uh. right. I don't. I don't know. You don't know. You can't say that. There wasn't a lot of thinking that went into it. No, 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 no. You can't say that. You're an adult. You didn't think. You don't know. We tell. We teach our kids that that's not true, Jeff. That choices have consequences. You did think. You do know.
1: Beth is is leaving me.
2: Well, good. Good. Sorry. You don't deserve no, that.
1: No, I, I do. I deserve that. No, You're you right. don't
2: deserve to be separate from your kids. I didn't come here to belittle you. Why did you come? I came because I want you to answer the question, Jeff. Gary, I, I don't know
1: what you want me to say, okay? This happened. I, I hate that this happened, and I don't know how to change
2: it, okay? I, I don't know what you want me to say do other than... you still than- love her? Do you still love my wife?
1: It, it was never about love. And look, if you guys split up, I don't think I can take that because we're not going to split up, I'm, Jeff.
2: It's chaotic, it's crazy. <laughs> You've turned our world upside down, but we're committed to one another. We're not going to split up. It's not the issue. The issue is you humiliated me. We've been buddies. We went to college together. We were in each other's weddings. Our family has done family vacations together. I mean, people—they talk about us at church, Jeff. I can't go through the doors without them talking about us. I, I know what they're talking about. I us. know. Okay, I know. I've messed everything up. I
1: get that, and I want to make it better. I, I want to it. do you something. You can't make it right, Jeff. Let me pay for something. You can't pay for Just nothing. hit me.
2: What? Hit me. I'm not gonna hit you. Come on, Jeff. I deserve it. I'm not gonna it. hit you, Jeff. No, I'm not gonna hit, hit me. Hit you. I deserve it. You deserve a lot of things. And don't you think that I don't stay up at night in my living room thinking about what you deserve. That's not what I'm here for.
0: Why are you here?
2: I'm here because I'm supposed to show you mercy. Supposed to show you mercy. It doesn't even make sense. I know.
1: No. What? No, you
2: don't
1: know. No, no, you don't get to do that. Do what? No, you don't get to play God, I'm okay? I'm not playing God. I don't want your religion. I don't want you coming in here and pretending like you're forgiving me, and then you're going to hold this over my head for the rest of my life. I don't need that, okay? I don't need you being God in my not... life. I'd rather you just hit
2: me it's and get about, it over with. It's not about being religious, Jeff. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not the issue. The fact is, you're, you're my buddy, and I, and I love you, and... You you knew better. She knew better. She's none of your business. It's about our relationship. And in this relationship, I'm supposed to show you mercy. This doesn't make sense. I know.
1: I mean if, if we were brothers that that'd be one thing. I mean family you're supposed to forgive. We're f- we're just friends. I know. You know I was I was thinking this week about our friendship. And wondering if if it would make it through this thing that I caused. And I was remembering when we were little kids. And we went through that phase where, like every day when we would see each other, we would play the game of mercy, right? And I was a little bit older than you. And I would I would bend back your fingers until I thought they were gonna snap off your hands. And and you never once cried out for mercy. And and as I've been thinking about this situation. I realize that I've been back so far. And you still you
2: still have not cried out. I don't I don't think it's about me crying out for mercy. I think it's about me trying to show you mercy. And I don't even know how good I'm going to be at that because there are some days I'm so angry at you. I'm so angry at you. But that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to show you mercy. Where do we start? I don't know. Just take it one day at a time, all right? Just take it one day at a time. All right, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go, okay? All
1: right. Oh, uh, hey, um, I've got your, your weed eater. Let me, let what? me get that. I, I've got your weed eater. I, I borrowed it, and I need to give it back. To I'll,
2: you. you can I'll get it from me later. When? Next, soon. One day at a time. One day at a time.
0: That's kindness. That's mercy. Those are the words of Paul when he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now that's a call to worship. So now as you process what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, may you find the courage to grow. May you find the power to forgive. May you grasp the love to be kind. And by doing so, may you find others around you being drawn to Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.